Glad you're here to worship with us this morning. It's always um, an interesting thing to turn the page on a new year, to click over and look at the year behind and then to begin to focus on the year ahead. And I'm hoping today that we can dig into part of the scripture that will really help us as we consider that. Uh, before we do that, I'd like to just mention that the Christmas offering, the total now is at 10353 and so this is the last day uh, if you'd want to give to the offering, if you've been praying about it, thinking it through. We've been asking you to do that, to consider how much you'd give over and above uh, your regular tithes and offering, and that's where we are. That's, that's going to be a real blessing to the ministries that we're uh, sharing this money with. Uh, 40% is going to go to Christian Challenge here in this area, 30% uh, to uh, Randy and Crystal Paul in Central Asia, and then 30% to um, North India and a combination of other other missions work that's going on across the world. So I'm, I'm excited about that. If If you'd like to give and you're caught by surprise that this is the last week, we will allow you to continue to give through the week if you'd like to. We're not going to say you can't do that. That's no, sorry, you cannot give. It's too late. So that's okay. But I'm excited about what God's uh, provided there for those ministries. It's great to be a part of just sharing uh, what God's blessed us with, especially at Christmas time, as He gave His Son uh, for for us to to help us come to know Him. We've been in a message series. This is the middle. It's a three-week message series called Paradox. And a paradox, you dig into the dictionary and you find out that a paradox is a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. That, that's what dictionary.com said. Webster says it's a tenet contrary to received opinion. As you set out to follow God, you run into all kinds of paradox. You, you, it doesn't, what God says in his word sometimes doesn't seem right to us. It doesn't make sense to us logically. It doesn't feel right. But as J.R. Packer said, a paradox is a figure of speech, a play on words that points out an apparent contradiction. And we're looking at paradox in scripture, three of them, that can be resolved as you deal with reality because they line up with reality. And as you set out to follow Christ, if you're trying to figure out what that means, what happens is you keep running into these things that feel like a paradox. They, they don't necessarily make sense to our natural mind. And part of following him means that you, you have your mind, Romans 12 says, you have your mind renewed or transformed. That's the key to real change in life. And New Year coming, you know, we're thinking about how to do this year differently. The key is getting into the Scripture, finding out what God says about life, and allowing that to retool the way you think, to have it completely renewed, to change your mind and shift it. So that's what we keep doing. And I'm looking at three of these paradoxes that you find in Scripture that really match up with reality. And what we want to do this morning is I'm going to walk through 2 Corinthians 10, 7 through 10, and I want to look at how much sense it makes as we learn the way that God views our weaknesses. That's one thing that happens. 
holiday time when you have a break, at least with me, is I enjoy that. I love the break. But my weaknesses start glaring at me because I get contemplative and I start thinking about what's going on. And my weaknesses, oh, wow, they show up. They may have shown up for you this Christmas or this holiday season. You may have been staring at some weaknesses. And I want to look at this and hopefully, and I know it will encourage you if you allow God to speak to you through it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. We'll get to that in a second. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. This is Paul speaking. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was God's uh, man that he chose to take the, the gospel, the, the message about Christ, beyond uh, the Jewish people to the Gentile people. And so God did some amazing things uh, to get him ready to do that. And so he says, I received this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Interesting wording, it was given to me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That word, that phrase in the Greek means when, when you boast in your weaknesses, when you acknowledge them, he puts a tent of power over you. It's a spiritual thing that happens. There's a tent. There's a covering of power. It rests on you. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that is backwards, isn't it, from the way we normally think? I'm going to delight in my weaknesses. I'm generally frustrated with my weaknesses. So we really need God's help to figure this out and turn around. What happens is many of us turn to God, and we want him to take away the pain. We want him to immediately fix the situation. I don't know what you're going through. There there's, could be a number of sources of pain. could be physical pain, could be emotional pain, struggle in friendships or family relationships. But we go to God and we want him to immediately take away the pain. And many times he doesn't do that. Most of the time he does not take away the pain immediately. He leaves it there. When he doesn't, we sometimes draw the wrong conclusion that he doesn't care or he uh, isn't paying attention or that he doesn't have the power to do it. But, but there's much more to it than that. There's much more to what God is doing, we learn in this passage. He's more concerned with our long-term good than he is our immediate relief. This is, if you're going to follow God and deal with real life and try to match it up with what it means to follow God, you have to understand this. He is much more concerned with our long-term good than our immediate relief. Let's say you have made a New Year's resolution to lose weight. Let's say I made that. New Year's Eve, I decide this is my resolution. I pray a prayer. God, would you help me to lose 20 pounds? In the new year, I go to sleep on New Year's Eve. I get up on New Year's Day. The 20 pounds is still there. What's the deal? 
I thought God was my friend. I thought he was going to help me drop the 20 pounds. When we wake up the next morning and he hasn't taken the pounds off, we can get upset with our friend. <laughs> What's the deal? He's all powerful. He's, I know he has the power to do this. Why doesn't he do it? If we don't understand his way, we get discouraged. He will help us. Yes, he will. He will give us the strength as we rely on him for strength to exercise and eat right and lose the weight in a way that has long-term health benefits. Because what would happen? We drop the 20 pounds, we go right back to the old habits. It's better for us to really work on this thing and change from the inside out as we try to lose the 20 pounds. That's, that's a trite, sort of a trite example of what God does over and over and over again in our lives. God is much more concerned with our long-term good, the big picture, than our immediate comfort. This is what we deal with over and over again in our lives. In this passage that we're looking at today, we even learn that God permits the pain in our lives for his purposes. 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7, and 8, or just 7. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness, uh, uh, surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul had been given some amazing revelations from God. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, the resurrected Jesus showed up in person. When Paul was converted, he was, he was attacking Christians, actually uh, persecuting them, uh, taking them out, killing them. And, and God shows up, Jesus Christ himself shows up on a road that he was traveling on to Damascus to do more of the same, to take out some more Christians, to hunt them down and take them out. Jesus himself shows up. Now, that's rare. Jesus shows up in his glorified body after the resurrection and has a conversation with Paul. That's one of the things God did. Uh, another thing, Paul had a, a vision when another revelation, another vision when God called him to step outside of the Jewish circle to begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Another vision. He had another vision. I'm just mentioning a few. He had another fantastic vision when God called him to go to Macedonia. He had other intentions with his plans, but God called him to go there. He was taken in another vision, which he describes in the passage of the verses right before the ones I read. He had another vision where he is taken into heaven. It was so real that he wasn't quite sure if God physically took him to heaven and brought him back or if it was a dream. He wasn't quite sure. So... Paul says, to keep me from being conceited because of these revelations, he gave me a thorn in the flesh. God gave the, these to Paul because he, he gave him the revelations because he wanted to use Paul in different ways. He gave him the thorn in the flesh to, to balance things out. The Lord took measures to ensure humility and dependence by permitting the thorn in the flesh. Now, this, this was not just a splinter in his hand. This thorn in the flesh. This was a constant source of pain and suffering. Real trouble. And you, you start reading commentaries, which are books that explain the Bible, and guys have all kinds of thoughts 
on what the thorn in the flesh is. Some people think it was an earache. Some people think it was a headache. Some people think uh, it was an eye problem. There's a Greek word in there that has kind of the ophthalmological idea to it. And, and so they think it was an eye problem. Other kinds of health problems. As many guys as you read, they're going to have another explanation for it. Some people think the thorn in the flesh was, he was being opposed. Corinth, this letter was written to Corinth, the church that he had started. And so some people think that the thorn in the flesh was the, the false teachers who came in to oppose his teaching. So we don't, we don't know what it was, but it was a real source of pain and suffering. So much so that it was deeply troubling to Paul. It was something he had to deal with constantly, if not daily. We can know, we don't, we don't know what it was, the thorn in the flesh, but we can know this, it was given to him by God for a specific purpose. To keep him humble. We can learn from this that God is working to balance our lives and bless us. He's working to balance our lives and bless as he does that. He is balancing our burdens and our blessings for our own good. Our long-term good. And so life is like a prescription When we allow God to blend the ingredients of life together, they help us. They are a gift. No matter how painful, they're a gift. That's Paul's perspective here that we can learn from. God had him write it down in his word so that we can learn from it. One non-negotiable in Scripture is that God opposes the proud. So it makes sense that he would work to keep his people humble. And that's what he's doing with Paul. Something else we learn is that God even uses Satan's work for our benefit. If God permitted this for Paul, we should expect the same for us. A messenger of Satan, really an angel of Satan, literally a demon. If if God is going to allow this affliction from Satan... For Paul, we can expect it for us. Martin Luther said, he made a statement that that brings a lot of comfort when you sort it out. He said, the devil is God's devil. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. John Piper puts it this way, and this this statement really explains uh, Martin Luther's statement. Satan is real and terrible. All his designs are hateful. But he is not sovereign. God is. There is a tremendous amount of comfort in knowing that even though Satan has power, he has more power than we do, um, even though he has a power, it's comforting to know that God is still in control. Satan intends harm. He intends to hurt us. God uses it as we turn to him to help us. He, he He flips it. By his power, he flips it. And so that is something we need to know and hold on to. God even uses Satan's work for our benefit as we learn to cooperate with him, as as we learn to trust him in the midst of the battle that's going on, the struggle, the the torment. That that is not just a, a word that's used lightly. He's tormented by this. 
Paul goes on to show that we must learn to accept what we need when we don't get what we want. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, the first part of verse 9, says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The idea is that Paul went to God on three special occasions and asked for the thorn to be taken away. He set aside some time. This is a constant hassle. So he, he, he decided, I'm going to carve out some time, and I'm going to ask God to take this away from me because it, it just seems like such a hindrance. I could, I could serve God so much better without this thorn in the flesh. So he, he pulls aside, and on three separate occasions, he asks God to take it away. And in doing that, he shows us how to deal with trouble. How do we do that? Take your trouble to God in prayer. God's answer to Paul's prayer was not to give him what he wanted, however, but what he really needed to bear up under the pain. And this, this happens. This is really the heart of prayer. At, at a, you know, when we first start following God or when we don't really understand how he works, we think prayer is a way that we get what we want. But as you grow and as you understand God more and more, you realize prayer is a way that God makes me who he wants. I don't just get what I want in prayer, but he begins to use my conversations with him. He begins to speak to me through his word to change me. And so what God God did is God didn't change the situation for Paul by taking the pain away, but by adding a new ingredient. That ingredient was grace. He didn't change the pain. He didn't take the pain away, but he added grace into the situation. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Grace means two things. First of all, grace is the goodwill of God toward us. And secondly, it's the good work of God in us. Grace is really unmerited favor. It's, it's something that you don't earn, but it's given to us from God. And when, when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, God, God really wants what's best for us. He has good will toward you and I. His will is good. And he does good work in us as we allow him to do that work. From this passage, we learn that the grace given to deal with the pain is of greater value than removing the pain. If I had a vote in the situation, take away the pain. <laughs> Every painful situation that I find myself in, oh God, take it away. That's a legitimate request. It really is. But the grace given to deal with the pain many times is of greater value than removing the pain. If it's greater value to remove it, God's going to remove it. He wants what's best. He has good will toward us. Second thing we learn is it might not be the best Thing for any given request to be granted to us. We, we need to pray in submission to God for, for his perfect will, in submission to his perfect will. God, I make this request, and I'm going to leave it with you. I know you'll do what's best. I trust you with it. 
Then finally, God often has something better in mind than the immediate answer to our prayer. He's got he's he's thinking of our long-term good, not our immediate relief. And so he's got something better in mind. Trouble teaches us to pray. And that's legitimate. We go to God when things get hard, when life is tough. Continued trouble teaches us to be constant in prayer, to keep praying, to keep trusting God. Many times, God doesn't answer the request with a yes. He doesn't grant the request, but he changes the person who's asking. This is the heart of prayer. This is what prayer is all about. Second thing we learn from Paul's example is that accepting pain and weakness is key to moving forward. Paul was a great example of pushing through the pain and doing what's right in spite of the trouble. This is what he did. He didn't stop and just start praying. I'm not, you know, I don't think I can move forward until this thorn is removed. No, he kept moving forward, doing God's purpose, doing what's right before God. Paul didn't get bitter. He didn't give up. He didn't grit his teeth and decide to do life without God, which are all dangers of the thorn being there and not being removed. He, he didn't have a, a sense of entitlement. He accepted God's answer and he moved on. The, the tense of the verb where it says, and he said to me in the Greek, if, if you get into the Greek language, the tense of that verb, so it, it, has, it carries this uh, emphasis with it. He once and for all said to me. So this is the final answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He settled the issue with that statement. It's what God did in the conversation with Paul. And Paul accepted the answer and moved on. I think it's great that he wrote this down so we can understand some important things about following God. There is no whining, no sense of entitlement in Paul at all. Jesus did the same thing in Gethsemane. He asked three times, God, if there's any other way but me to be arrested, tortured, crucified, if there's any other way that I could do what I need to do without going through that pain and suffering, Please, would you take it away from me? He exact, what he exactly said, one translation says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That, that resignation. Okay, there's, there's no other way. This, this is the way it is. This is what's going on. When we rail against God, when we rail against him for what's going on in our life, and we throw a fit, we get stuck. We can't move on. God isn't able to use the pain for our good. He's not able to use it for the purpose which he allowed it. We're stuck right there. We never move on. Paul is a real example to us in that he accepted the pain and he praised God in it. That God was able to do through that pain what he could do no other way. That's what's going on. That's the example he's setting. A final truth to, to learn out of this, and we're getting down to the paradox, 
is we receive God's strength when we acknowledge our weaknesses. Two ways to feel good about yourself. Hiding your weaknesses. Trying to pump yourself up by bragging on your strengths. Talking about all the good stuff you have and do. Or acknowledging your weakness, humbling yourself before God, and realizing how much value you have in Him. Two, two approaches. This is Paul's approach. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't seem right to our natural mind. Does that seem right to you? When I am weak, then I am strong. That's the paradox. There it is. In reality, in this life, our strength is often God's rival. Our weakness is a servant. Many, many, many times. I read a man who said that this week. That's a great statement. Our strength is often God's rival, but our weakness is his servant. The core issue in our life is God's glory. We sang a song, the first song we sang today. Not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory. To your name be the glory. We were made by God. We're creatures who were created by God who made us to bring glory and honor to him. When... When we live for ourselves, life loses its meaning. It shrivels up. It shrinks up. It doesn't mean what God intended it to mean. We were made to bring God glory. And when we do life for him, for his glory, life hums. There's a hum. (laughs) It really comes together. And we experience this. And you know this. As you've lived your life, as, as you just make your plans, if you wrap your heart around your own self and the things that you want to see happen during a given day or a week, ah, if you wrap your family, you try to get your family to get on your page and live for you and your purpose, boy, that doesn't go well. That creates all kinds of havoc. You go to work. And you try to convince everybody at work that you're the greatest and they should really do things the way that you think they should be done and you're getting after that. and You just don't get a sense of cooperation from the other people in the, in the group, do you? <laughs> they, that's not the way it works. But when you set your heart to glorify God in the way you plan your days, in the way you relate to your family, the way you handle your finances, the way that you do work, the way that you do ministry, life begins to hum. In fact, when you surrender and resign to God using you, even your weaknesses, life is, is better and better. Because the weaker the instrument God uses, the more he is glorified. The more his power shows up, the weaker the instrument. His power, through weak instruments, is brought to center stage in our lives. And that brings us to the ultimate question here. (laughs) Who is in the starring role in your life? Who's on center stage? The way you know that is who gets the credit. 
You can identify that. You can vet that. You can check that out in your life. By who is getting the credit for the good stuff that's going on in your life? Who do you talk about? Yourself? Someone else? Maybe a connection that you have? Someone you think is powerful who's really helped you out that you know other people respect and they think is powerful that you know I know them. That's why I am who I am. Who, who's getting credit? Yourself, someone else, or God? God should be in the starring role. He should be center stage in your life. And you know who's getting the credit by, or who's getting the glory by who's given the credit. God is in the habit of turning weakness into strength. Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith. It lists all kinds of people through, that God has worked through to accomplish his purpose. And this is sort of a summary statement after several people like Moses, David, um, Elijah. There's just a list of people that God's done amazing things through, and this is a summary. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, Daniel. Pretty amazing. Quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. This is God's way. We read the Old Testament and we see what God has done and we're amazed. Whoa, you know, I want to be, I want to be as strong as those folks. I want to take down Goliath. And last week I talked about how God continually chose the least because the least shows his power. When he does things through the insignificant, he gets the glory. When he does things through the weak, he is honored and glorified. And this is God's way. In our weakness, we rely on God, and he works through our lives. Notice that Paul didn't get an explanation beyond my grace is sufficient for you. He got a promise. He received a promise in answer to his request. No, I'm not going to grant that request because blah, blah, blah. He didn't, he didn't get that. He got a promise. And he, he could choose to put his faith in the promise of God and find hope in that situation as he goes through. Situation after situation, experiencing weakness, watching, glaring at his weaknesses. He could trust God to give him what's needed to deal with that. Where you are weak, trust God. Accept your weakness and allow God to accomplish his purpose in it. Amazing help in this passage that we looked at this morning. Boasting about weakness seems kind of odd. But when you understand how God works, it makes a lot of sense. The paradox is resolved. We're going to receive our offering uh, in a few moments. And again, I'd like to thank you for... Just your faithful giving that allows us to do what we do here at Church of the Valley. Um, been doing it for 23 years, and uh, it's been a blessing to do that. Um, here's some next steps that you can take as a result of um, this message as a, we looked at these principles. God may have laid some other things on your heart, but here's some suggestions. My, my next step is to memorize 
2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Something great to remember. Another step would be to pray every day this week that God will give me the grace to deal with a specific thorn. Maybe there's a thorn in your flesh, something that's causing a tremendous amount of pain. Pray about that. Go to God. See what answer he gives. I would ask God to take it away. I wouldn't demand that. I would pray in submission to him. I would pray and ask him to take it away, letting him do what he wants, letting him decide what's best. But pray this week, every day. Ask for the grace to deal with the thorn. Ask for perspective to help you with it. And then another step would be ask God for strength in an area of weakness. You may be frustrated by it. God, would you help me in this to trust you, to let you work in me and through me in that? Those are some ideas. You can take some steps yourself uh, as you will. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power that you give in the midst of our weakness. Your grace is sufficient. It works in us to bring about the character that you want in us. And Father, I pray that you'd give us the strength to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.